Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter to everyone. It's great to be together here at Greater Alton Church. And if you're a guest here, we're so delighted to have you. It's an honor to be together on a day that's, that shares the greatest news of all. He has risen. Isn't that awesome? That's a great, great announcement to be made. The signs of spring are everywhere right now. And it's, in a way, all this life, the trees and the flowers and everything's coming out, uh, it's all telling us, announcing to us, if you will, that the dormancy of winter is over and new life is beginning. And it's, uh, it's a time for planting. It's a time for sprouting. Springtime is a time for gardens. I'm sure some of you are already thinking about what kind of garden you're going to have. I know I am. And it's in a spring garden. That's why we've set the stage up a little bit like this. It's in a spring garden that Jesus is planted, that is buried, and that he sprouts, that is he comes back to life. And he does this to make life for you and I. Look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians 5, and you can follow along in the notes if you like, or you can just look at the screen, whichever you like to do. It says, death initially came by a man, and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam. Everybody comes alive in Christ. Just like we know we're all going to die because Adam kind of made that happen. Jesus is saying, oh, you can have a brand new life and have uh, be alive when you're in Christ. So really, when you th- stop and think about it, Easter is about giving you and I, giving me, giving you new life. It's about Really having another start, a new start. We always think about new starts during New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, right? We even have, we even talk about that every year. New Year's, new, new uh, the New Year is here and we talk about starting fresh. Well, Easter really is about this as well. Um, look at this passage here in Romans 6. Paul says this about baptism from the Living Bible. He says, when God the Father with glorious power brought him back to life again, you were given this wonderful new life to enjoy. I just happened to notice that word again before I walked out of here looking at that passage, realizing God wants to give me this life that he intended me to have once more again. Couldn't help but think about all the... I was with seven grandkids yesterday. You know, we spent several days cleaning, dusting, vacuuming to have the house trashed by seven grandchildren. And we didn't mind at all. My wife and I didn't mind at all. But I just noticed about, you know, uh, Ross, for example, the front door kept, ha- they kept having trouble with the front door. The front door would always come open and, uh, and the kids wouldn't shut it. We're always telling them, come on, shut the door, shut the door. Then Ross shows up and we go, Ross, can you shut the door? And he goes, uh-huh. He goes in and grabs something, walks out. He, he shuts the front door and then you hear him tugging on it. And then he looks in the window and goes, We go, all right. And then he comes back and does it again. He does it like five times. He's a ham. But I can think about the life he lives right now. Remember that? Remember when you were a child? Just how there was no filter. You could, you'd say anything. You were innocent. And then as we get older, that life is taken from us. It's slowly just taken from us. Jesus Christ on Easter is saying, oh, I want you to have that life back, that innocence, where you can, you can feel 
good stuff, pure stuff, wonderful things, and enjoy this life the way he created it to be. I was thinking about this this morning. For this new life to happen, for it to take place for us, Jesus had to die. He had to be brought back from death. Look at this uh, um, this passage here again in Romans 6. It says he brought him back to life again. So that means he had to die. I got to thinking about the cross. If there's a book you, uh, I was reading this week, I took my own homework seriously. I was reading about the Easter account. I hope you did too. Uh, there's a booklet or a book out by Beth Moore called Jesus. Excellent book describing what was going on the week of Easter. And as I read it, I couldn't help but just be reminded of just, just trying to imagine what that must have been like. Because the Easter story uh, can't be complete without Friday and Saturday, not just Sunday. I was picturing this idea, think about this, Jesus passes away, he dies, and then the crowd, after they've seen the show, so to speak, begins to thin out. Even Mary, John, Mary Magdalene, all these people are slowly leaving and going back home. But there's two fellas lingering, there's two fellas kind of back in the shadows and they're watching. And they're not one of the twelve, they're, they believe in Jesus, but they're afraid at the same time. They're afraid of the Jews. The names of these two fellows is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And it's interesting to me that, that you find in John, as he is describing the death of Jesus and the burial and the resurrection, that he, he points these out, these two fellows. It says they were, I don't know if you know this or not, but Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were members of the Sanhedrin. So they were, they either were there listening and watching Jesus being hauled into court and, and under trial, or they weren't there at all. And if they were there, they were quiet because they were afraid. They were secret followers of Jesus. But they, it wasn't a secret anymore. They go to Pilate and they ask for the body. We want the body of Jesus. They're not part of the twelve, not part of the professionals. By the way, just as a side note, these guys love the body of Jesus. They want the body of Jesus. There's a play on words here when you stop to think about it. The body of Jesus today is the church. And I know that there's professionals and there's, there's people, there's staff people and there's leadership. And I do believe leadership has a big impact on the church. But it isn't two leaders here that care about the body of Jesus. They're not a part of the elite, part of that special group. They're just two people that love Jesus. And I want you to know the power and the, and the, the health of Greater Alton Church lies with everyone who cares about the body of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You can care about the body of Jesus and it matters. It matters big time. But they want the body of Jesus. And just imagine for a minute, what is it like to take a body off of a cross? What does that look like? I tried to imagine that, and Beth Moore helps us imagine. She talks about, just imagine these two fellows. It takes two men. I don't know if, I've never handled a dead body, a human being. I've handled some pigs, you know, livestock. And there's something about, they call it dead weight. It's interesting. It's heavier. It seems to be heavier. It takes two men to take this, to take the body of Jesus off the cross. And how they get it off, it's nailed on there. 
Just use your imagination. But as they're taking the body off, I, I can just imagine them seeing the hands, the pierced hands, that were the same hands that healed people, that fed people. The lips of Jesus, they look at his face, and now they're dry and cracked. That used to speak the word of God. That would just say things, and it would happen, are now stilled. Tried to imagine as they're taking Jesus off the cross, maybe one of them, maybe Nicodemus, pricks his finger on the crown of thorns as he's trying to take it off. And blood is everywhere, folks. Blood is all over the place. It has spilled on the ground, it's sinking into the soil. It's smeared on the on those guys' clothes. And John, who's the best friend of Jesus, describes what's going on here in John chapter 19. It says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. You read in the other Gospels, Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices. If you know anything about history, 75 pounds of spices is what they use to, to prepare a body of a king. And it's not just dirty linens. The criminals were wrapped in their own dirty linens. No, they, Jesus was wrapped in pure white linen because of his purity. And the Bible goes on to say, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So the body is placed in a garden. It's springtime. I was tell, uh, Bud and I were talking about this, uh, just before services or during when people were singing. One of the things I think is interesting is, you know, Christmas, we're really, not, you know, people, we celebrate it in December, but it, Jesus wasn't born in December, right? We know that. Oh, it's somewhere in another month and there's guessing, all this stuff. But Easter, you don't make a mistake about that one. It's during Passover. It's in the spring. It's kind of like the weather we're having now. Just imagine that. Yesterday as I was was with the grandkids, back in my mind I'm thinking it's the Sabbath during the time of Christ. And the women are doing nothing. They've got spices ready. They are waiting. The Bible says they went out while it was still dark. They wanted to be at that tomb by sunrise. But at Sabbath, everybody had to sit around. Nothing was happening. And here we see Jesus being laid in a garden. He's in a garden is where he's laid. In a spring garden. And John picks it up in chapter 20 after he's resurrected and all the drama, the Roman guards and everything has happened. Mary comes along and says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. She, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, 
You've carried him away. Tell me where you put him. And I'll, and I'll get him. Then Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. So you have this setting where Mary is looking in the tomb and it's, it's, it's empty, but she sees some angels and she's crying so much. I don't know if you've ever cried so much you can't see very well. And she's crying. The angels are asking why you're weeping. They, they, the, you know, Jesus is right there and says, why are you crying? And she turns to him, but she doesn't even recognize him because she's, her eyes are just so filled with tears. And just says, what did you do with him? Just give him to me. And looks back into the tomb. And then Jesus says, Mary, calls out her name. And she recognizes and turns around and goes, oh my God. Master. John has guard, a garden on his mind. He's the only, the only gospel that talks about this garden idea. Mark doesn't talk about, Luke doesn't talk about, Matthew doesn't speak of it. Only John speaks of this. And it, I, I'm trying to figure out why would, is it on purpose? It has to be on purpose. It has to be on purpose. John wants you and I to know something and he wants you, uh, you and I to think about gardens. On Easter. Think about it originally. The very first garden. Is the garden of Eden. You just read the book of Genesis. And you find that out. That that life for mankind begins. And began in the garden. And the Bible says. God walks in the cool. Of the evening. Through the garden he's planted. Look at Genesis 2.9 here on your notes or up on the screen. It says, then God planted a garden in Eden. God did the planting. The original gardener was God himself. It says, God made all kinds of trees grow from the ground. And look what it says here. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden. Life, the tree of life in this garden. The tree that when you ate from it, you never died. Is in the middle of this garden, of this spring garden. But see, it doesn't take long for, for it doesn't take long for his garden to be ruined. Adam and Eve, their sin just scorched that garden. It brings death to the garden. It ruins their garden, just like you and I know firsthand how sin will ruin our garden, our life. But on Easter Sunday, on the first day of the week. God walks again in a spring garden. And this time, it's not in the cool of the evening, but in the cool of the dawn. And what's He bring? He brings new life. A new beginning. For every man and every woman. For you and I. A brand new life. I guess you could say, Mary, without even realizing it, is right. When she thought it was the gardener, it was the gardener, the gardener. Hmm. I think that's what John's wanting us to know here on Easter. That the gardener is still working and wants to work with you and I. Here's two points and then we'll be, we'll be done here on Easter Sunday. Again, thank you for coming.
I hope you'll be encouraged what we're about to talk about here. Like a gardener, number one, Jesus works wonders with my dirt. You know anybody that's got a green thumb? Man, they can grow stuff on concrete. How do they do that? They're just, they're just amazing. We always say, man, you got a green thumb. I remember the first time we're working in a garden and I'm doing some planting and mom says, you've got a green thumb. And I'm staring at my thumb. Doesn't look green to me. Oh, that's, that's, it's, and, and if anybody's got a green thumb that, that can grow anything and anyone, it's Jesus Christ, the gardener. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but the root word for human is humus. That's the Latin word for human. Humus. And what is humus? Dirt. But not just any dirt. Rich dirt. I don't feel like rich dirt. I didn't know dirt had feelings, okay, first of all. But no, I'm going to tell you. The Bible says you and I are made of dirt. Uh, Adam was told early on, look at this passage here. He's told, God tells him, he says, you were made from soil and you'll become soil again. We hear these preachers all the time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's because the Bible talks about this idea that we're made from dirt, but not just any dirt. It's rich soil. The psalmist says it this way. It says that God understands. He knows that you are made. You and I are made of dirt. So Jesus sees the potential of my dirt. He sees the potential of yours too. And like a gardener, He will take your soil, which the Bible calls your heart, and He may have to break it sometimes. He may have to remove debris. If you're trying, you've ever put in a garden somewhere for the first time, you've got to get all the junk out of the way, haul the junk off, mow it, and then till it up, break it up. He may have to break it up. He may have to break your heart sometimes. And then he has to weed it. Why? He wants to, he will help you, by the way, clear it and help you grow this new life. And he's willing to get dirty to accomplish it. I don't know if you ever put in a garden, but man, I'm a mess after I put one in. Aren't you? Dirt everywhere. You're like, how did I? How? I think there's more dirt on me than in the garden. Now. But see, Jesus is that way. He decided he would be dirt, though he was not dirt. He would become dirt. Look at this. It says here in Hebrews two, since we God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and in dying break the power of the devil, who had the power. Of death. You see that? Only by being dirt was he able to do wonders. He did wonders with his dirt, his humanity, his humanness. And listen, church, he can do wonders with yours. I know this morning here on Easter, you may be thinking, I don't know, Tim, I've had a lot of stuff happen. How could I say it happens? It has happened a lot in my life. Some people, my dad used to say, are full of it. Don't look at somebody if you're thinking about that. And I, I gotta, I want to be honest with you. I've had a lot of it in my life too. I continue. Crap happens. It happens. But you know what? 
It is a great fertilizer. It can be a great fertilizer. And maybe you've had a lot of stuff happen. You think, well, I'm the last guy that Jesus can help because I've hurt myself so much. I've hurt my family so much. My friends, my, they, they, they've lost, they don't see potential in me. They want to stay away from me. And maybe that's happening to you. Maybe that's happened to you. I got news for you. You may wonder, I'm too dirty. I am too damaged. And it's too late for me. I want you to know it is spring on Easter. And the gardener says, oh, no, no, no. I've been waiting because I can do incredible things with you. You're great compost. And I want to grow something. I want to, I want to bring about life. So you see, there's not enough stuff that can happen to you or by you that can keep the gardener from seeing your potential. And he can do wonders even with us when we think there's no hope. I've asked Susan Gabir to share this morning. Susan's going to talk a little bit about the wonders of what God has done as well as what Jesus the gardener can do for you. Okay? Go ahead, Susan. So I'm Susan. Um, some of you know me. Some of you I don't know very well. But um, I have a lot of dirt in my in my life, a lot of dirt. Um, I was in uh, an abused childhood, um, all kinds of abuse, physically, mentally, verbally, sexually. Um, and I had a child born out of that incest, and she was terminally ill, and I got that. And I had a bad marriage and had a car accident. There's just all kinds of stuff, all kinds of dirt. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking that I'm worthless. I don't have much to offer. Um, how could anybody love me? How could God love me? How could anybody want me? Um, but uh, that's not true. Those are just all just not true. That's just, you know, that's like Tim called it, it. That's my fertilizer. <laughs> that's all my fertilizer. And God has taken my, you know, I, I found God and, and I talked to God and he has spent a long time working on my garden. He has uh, planted seeds and he has watered and weeded and pruned and got me here today. Um, and I'm standing up here in front of you guys. It's funny to me, sorry. Um, but he's gotten me here today just because he's worked on my garden so hard. Um, and I just, I'm up here just to share that and my life is just like so different. It's so good now. It's, I know that I'm loved and, and I don't have anybody to please but God. And, uh, and it's a good thing. Anyway, I'm up here to talk about Wounded Heart. Uh, Wounded Heart is a class um, for uh, adult victims of sexual abuse. Uh, Wounded Heart helped me a lot. Um, it helped me to learn how much God loves me and how worthy I am. And uh, it helped me to forgive. Uh, I was able to forgive both my parents and myself. And um, it helped me get through a lot. And we're going to start another Wounded Heart class. So I just wanted to reach out here and speak to you guys. And anybody who's interested, um, you can get a hold of me. Uh, my name is uh, going to be on the web, on the, inter the, the church's website. And I think 
on the bulletin too? And in the bulletin. And um, you can just get a hold of me. We can talk. Uh, we plan. A, I plan in a class on May, in May. I don't know exact date yet, and we find out how many people we have that are interested who would like to come and uh, look at the books with me and talk about uh, their pain and their hurt and uh, how we can heal and how God can help us. I think that's all I have to say. Thank you. So number one, Jesus the gardener does can do wonders with my dirt. He really can. He can transform. You may think it. I don't know. I can't see how. He can. He's been there and done that. He can be there and do that for you. Here's point number two. That Jesus wants to reproduce his life in me. What are gardeners about? You know, when you talk to these people that are enthusiastic about their gardens, they can't wait to do what? They get excited about planting. They get excited to see that new life come up. And they know it's going to multiply. It's going to multiply. Jesus was very excited about the resurrection. Because as a gardener, he knows that when a seed dies, it produces much more. And he saw himself as that seed. Look at this passage here in John 12. Jesus speaking here. He says, the time has come, Jesus says, for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says, I'm about to be glorified. He talked about his death on the cross and his resurrection. He says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, he says, if it dies and if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. Most scholars, you know, when they talk about this, this uh, the, the, the gospel of John, one of the things they notice is, that, do you do this if you want to do it now? Just Google it yourself on your phone. How many miracles are listed in the Gospel of John? And when you do that, overwhelmingly, most of your hits are going to say seven miracles. But there's actually eight. There's actually an eighth one. And this is the one they don't list, the resurrection of Jesus. You would think that would be the one people would get. But they got all the feeding this, healing that person, raising that guy. But this... This is the biggest one of all. And, and it's significant because being the eighth, and, it's, and John, again, I think is doing this on purpose. He knows people who, when they study their Bibles and they start looking at the backstory, they're going to notice there's eight miracles listed here. What's the significance of the number eight? Well, the number eight means new. It means resurrection. The eighth day is the first day of a new week. See how that goes? And that's exactly what's going on here. And to indicate by being the eighth miracle, it's the first of many to follow. And that's what I want us to see here is that like a gardener who wants to reproduce, expects that seed to reproduce itself, Jesus plants himself, is buried and sprouts and comes out resurrected to be the first one so that others will follow, so other people can follow and reproduce His life over and over in you and I. Look at this in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But Christ really has been raised from death, the first one of all those who will be raised. I've heard preachers say on Easter, and I've said it myself, you know, are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? Easter says, uh, are you ready to resurrect? Are you ready for the new life? Are you ready to get started? Because Jesus died, yes, 
and he resurrected to reproduce his life in you and I. And when? To really live. You know, Gary's going to be starting a new series talking about really living is the next three, four weeks we're doing a series called Really Living. All about what does the resurrection say to me and what can I learn from the resurrection about this new life? And I got to thinking, when is this new life lived? Well, I, I'll tell you what, folks. The new life is not designed to be lived after you die and go to heaven. It's designed to live now. Here and in heaven. It can begin now. I mean, Jesus, when he died and resurrected, he wasn't gone. He stuck around on earth for a while. Resurrected saying, this is how I want you to, this is what I want you to see. Where you start your living now. Not after you die. I'm not, listen, I'm excited about, I'm excited about what's coming after I die. But I'm getting excited about what's coming after this sermon. What's going to happen today? Because new life begins when I become a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. Paul said this to the believers. He's reminding the believers. Is it, is, why does he have to remind the believers of this new life? Because we forget. We get to waiting for this new life to occur later. Well, I guess we're going to have to suffer and drudge long. And then when I die, finally I'll have this new life. And Jesus is going, you're missing it. You're robbing yourself. And by the way, if you're saying, well, Tim, I, but I'm not I've been a Christian a while and I'm not experiencing this new life. You need to do a gut check. Why, what's going on? Are you cooperating with the gardener? Because he's trying to produce this new life in you. He want, he's, he's longing and dreaming to see this new life. His life replicated in yours. And he'll help you do it. He says here, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. It doesn't mean later after he dies. No, it's begun when? When you become a Christian. And how? How does this take place? Well, Jesus uses Easter as a map to show us what that journey looks like. And just like Jesus, I surrender to the Father. I surrender to God and say, Lord, not my will anymore, but yours be done. I die to myself. Dying is not responding to life anymore. I'm not going to respond to my old life anymore. I'm going to die to that. And then I'm going to be buried. And the Bible talks about being buried in water, in baptism. And out of that, rising out of that, that new life begins. Blythe Denius did that this week. She, she, where's Blythe at? Is she gone? Is she here? Stand up, Blythe. Stand up. There she is. And then we had a, a lot of people here. And people are so encouraging. I said, Blythe, just imagine. Your sin's gone. New life is beginning. A whole new life. The power of death, the fear of death, it's gone. So don't live in fear. Show us how to be brave and live by faith. 
Because see, when you're buried in this watery grave, it's for people who have decided to die. And if you're dead, you come out of this water with a new life. Look what it says here in Romans 6. The NIV says it this way. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then he says, for if, it's conditional, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. When Jesus resurrected, he was still on the earth. He wasn't just gone and disappeared. It came later. He lives now, still living, still reigning. But his new life began when he came out of the tomb. He said, don't touch me. I haven't went to the Father yet. I'm so brand new. And it's when this occurs when I will die like him and I'll be buried like him. There's a card in your bulletin. And if you, maybe you've, uh, you've never filled out a card if you've been here several years, maybe it's time to fill one out. Or if you're a guest here, I want to encourage you to use this card to make a decision this morning. One of the things that I found very interesting as I was looking at John's account, Mary is looking in the tomb and she's looking and Jesus is gone and it's, it bothers her. Got two angels in there. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of cool, huh? But no, where'd they take the body? And she's crying and weeping. The angels are going, you know, all the heavens are going, why are you crying? Why of all things? Of all Sundays, this is not the day to cry. Why are you crying? Well, the body's gone. The body's gone. And she's just so focused on pain. So focused on hurt. So focused on hang up. So focused on death. You hear me? You listening to me, people? So focused on what's wrong. That what's right is right there. It's right there behind her. Even what's right speaks up. Why are you crying? The Son of God, why are you crying? She turns around, can't quite make him out because she just, she's so caught up in her pain, she can't see Jesus very clearly. Don't you understand? If, what'd you do with the body? You must work here. Yeah, I do. I do work here. This is where I do my best work. Well then where's the body? But she can't see it. And what she do? I tell you, you try to figure this out. Well, how can Mary not recognize Jesus? Her tears, but she goes back to the pain. Her back is to Jesus. She just can't get past the hurts. That's why Susan Gabir, she's talking about this wounded heart class. If, if you've experienced abuse, I hope you will contact her. Because it's very, very painful. So painful it'll paralyze you. You can't function. Your marriage hurts. Your parenting hurts. Your everything where you work. What's wrong with her? What's wrong with him? You're looking at this empty. You're looking at a tomb, and it's empty. But you just see pain. You don't see hope. And I want to tell you, 
there's so hope. He's standing right behind you. And oh, if you'll just listen, he knows your name. He knows you intimately. And he's he's calling out to your name now. And all you got to do is go turn around and realize there's the body. It's alive. Now the tomb doesn't look so bad. The pain doesn't look so 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 bad. The hang up isn't so strong anymore. The habit hasn't got a hold of me like it used to. Why? Because victory over all that. I now am focusing on. And I cry out, Master. You want to know? I don't know. I don't know where you are this morning. I, I honestly don't. By the way, if you, you're one of those people who says, I bet the preacher knows he looked right at me. I look at everybody. I want you to know, I don't know where you are, but the one who knows your name, who resurrected on Sunday, the first day of not only a week, but of your life, knows you and says, just turn to me and listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. Open up. What does that look like? Maybe it's opening up a Bible with somebody. Somebody might say, you want to study the Bible? Yeah, let's do that. Let's start learning. Let's start listening to the master. Let's see what, what else, what else is there. Because I feel I'm stuck in a rut. And you know what a rut is? It's just a grave with both ends knocked out. And Jesus is an expert on getting out of ruts. He knows how to do that. And he promises you, you can have this new life and you can live this new life today. So I encourage you, respond to him. Turn to his voice. Maybe you write something on the card. I want to study the Bible with somebody. I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I want to make sure he's master of mine, of my life. Thank you for coming on Easter Sunday. May God bless you to experience this resurrection. That it not be recreational today. That it not be just a ritual today. But oh my God. Help it be real. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Oh God, I pray. I know every, I know there are those here today. They're just going through a lot of stuff. Oh God, we know your son, you, the great gardener, you come in the flesh and you can do wonders. I've watched you do it. Some of us have seen you do wonders in our lives and others for years. And Father, I pray for those that are wondering if you can do that in their life. Let them know that you can and you will if, you'll, if they'll turn to you and let, let you, the gardener, the gardener, work with their dirt. Bless everyone here today, Father. Humble our hearts. And help us have that great hope. And to accept this good news. He has risen. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is my desire to